Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Talent the Human podcast. This is your host, Jay Flores, and I am sitting here with a new friend, um, as I always introduce people as new friends or existing friends. And um, this episode is going to be very, very special as the last episode. This is also being recorded live. Uh, the two of us are sitting across from each other, so this is very, very exciting. And um, yeah, we want to we want to be able to provide you a lot of value on this episode, and we're going to focus our conversation on education. I usually introduce my my um, <clears throat> my guests um, with a little bit of intro, but since Brona is here, I will let her do a small intro to herself. So without further ado, I want to friend Rona to the show. Thank you so much for having me Jay. It's great to meet you in person to sit here and uh, yeah my name is Rona and I'm originally from Germany but lived abroad for quite a long time over eight years mainly in Asia, Southeast Asia, Australia, the United States and different European countries. I returned to Berlin three years ago and while I was abroad I worked a lot you kind of already introduced it in the education sector so I had different positions with the United Nations, working in different parts of the world on education topics. And uh, yeah, now I'm based here in Berlin since three years. Founded my own company, Grow Beyond, and we're working with universities all over Europe, looking at how can we improve university education to prepare young people better for the future. And through this, um, I mean, education has always been a topic for me, of course, also with the United Nations, but through this, I'm... Yeah, even more immersed in the education sector here in Europe and also lifelong learning, the whole, yeah, everything that's around education and learning has become a very important topic to me. And uh, this year I founded a second company, Cycross. We build a software solution for podcasts. So it's good to be on a podcast. There exactly. We go. <laughs> um, so it's a software solution. You can cut podcasts, edit podcasts, and publish them, but company internal. So it's an enter- enterprise solution to um, yeah, use podcasts within companies to turn people into on-the-go learners, into knowledge exchangers, and yeah, use this beauty of podcasts also within companies. That is amazing. I, I kind of saw a little bit about about that on your on your site, mm-hmm. and um, I was very interested about that because that's um, that's that I actually think that that's a good um, medium to mm-hmm. to kind of like internalize communication yes. for for companies or yes. to distribute internal communication for companies yeah. because you know everyone. I mean, I always assume that everyone enjoys listening to podcasts yeah. because I love podcasts. Yeah. I've been listening to podcasts since. Before they were this hyped up, yeah. And, yeah. Um, now they're super hyped, of course. But yeah, and, and and I got into the game because I, I for, for the longest I always thought maybe I'll do a podcast one day, but I never really knew what I wanted to do a mm-hmm. podcast about. So that's why, um, when when the idea of this one came about, um, in my head, mm-hmm. based on someone, uh, someone's comment. I mean, uh, post on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. That kind of sparked the idea okay we do need to focus a lot on how mental health affects young mm. people yeah. that are trying to figure out their talent mm. and figure out their purpose in life yeah. and and then there's so many different little areas that kind of tied up to this mm. core message of mental health and mm. i think education is a mm-hmm. really big um a really big factor here mm-hmm. the um the reason why I think education is a main factor is probably the same reason why you think education needs to be reformed. Mm-hmm. I honestly believe that, you know, from a from a university point of view, if they don't catch up mm-hmm. into how fast they teach people, mm-hmm. technology will will render college mm-hmm. education mm-hmm. extinct. Mm-hmm. That's my train of thought, right? Mm-hmm. My, my, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't think of anything other than say, one of the reasons why young people get frustrated, get anxious, and anxiety mm-hmm. is such a big part of mental health that mm-hmm. that kind of drives people to to a level of 
saying, well, what the hell am I doing? Mm. Right? Mm. I'm supposed to be learning this, but the applications in real life are changing mm. so fast. And mm. with that in, in mind, it's like, oh, how do you, you know, why am I, at least in the US, why am I spending the, mm. this kind of money? Mm. Okay. Yeah, I mean, especially in the US, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And then why am I um why am I spending all this time? Why am I investing all this time on this? We, we you know, I could learn all these things now. We have the internet. Mm. It blows my mind everything that you can learn. Yeah. I have learned so many things so just sitting down and mm. you know, watching YouTube videos, listening to tech talks and researching topics on my own and mm. finding expert advice. Basically that's what you that's how I in you know, experienced university. Mm. It was you saw an expert, your professor, mm-hmm. you did some homework with your research, mm-hmm. and then you find information from other sources at the library and the internet. Mm-hmm. So I can do that all for free at home. Mm-hmm. And there's so much information available. And kids today, our younger generations, are adept to that. They know that. 15 mm-hmm. year olds today know that. If mm-hmm. they need something, they want to learn something, they can find it. Mm-hmm. and they can learn it really mm-hmm. fast because they understand technology better than our generation does mm-hmm. and with that said they get to school and there's someone teaching them methods and way of education that's not adept to that and that causes a ton of frustration mm-hmm. and then that could lead down the wrong path when it comes to our mental health and mm-hmm. younger people don't necessarily know how to handle this stuff because they haven't been exposed to it Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's my, my thought. I just wanted to bring you on so that I can just lay all this on you and then you can tell me what you think. Yeah, well, there was a lot in what you just said. There were a lot of points in there. Um, well, first of all, I think that absolutely um, times are changing and they're changing more radically than ever before. And that's not just our subjective experience but that like if we look at innovation spans you know new technologies that enter our lives they become shorter and shorter so we have to adapt more more and more quickly to new things um our you know grandparents maybe had one job our parents had two or three we have up to 30 40 different jobs and and children that are now entering school are expected to have at least seven completely different jobs, completely different occupations in their life, right? So um, for sure, everything is changing a lot and um, universities are still stuck somewhere else, like schools are in a, in a different century. And of course, the question then is, first of all, we, we might need a few podcasts to discuss all this, <laughs> but of course, what should universities deliver? Like, what should they enable humans, young people, mostly young people to do? And I mean, I'm working with some universities and they say, you know what, we, we, don't, we don't want to prepare people for life. You know, that's not what higher education is for. That's not what we envision in doing. We we are an academic institution, we are about research, we are about academic writing, academic research. Our, um, yeah, like what we, what we want to is, is not even, you know, our mission, mission statement is not even preparing young people for, for real life, if you want to, right? But of course, um, if we look at most higher education institutions or also, um, I mean, in, in Germany, again, we have like semi-private, private, public in there. Yeah. Like, Again, we would need to go a bit more detail to distinguish, but of course they say, yeah, okay, you know, the working world is changing a lot. What skills do we still need? What knowledge do we still need? And you touched up on this saying, yeah, you know, I can go online and I can find all the information online. And I totally agree with that. Um, and that's, of course, also something universities are seeing, like, you know, what can we do online before we meet? For me, of course, there's still a huge element that happens in interaction, you know, that happens when you meet with people, when you discuss things. And like you said today as well, like, let's not do the podcast online, let's meet in person because it's different. And I think that's, of course, also um, we learn in interaction, we learn when we get together with people. So I think that, of course, technology offers amazing things and opportunities to, for example, gather knowledge and information before research things and then meet in person to discuss and go more in depth and um, yeah be creative together communicate uh, think critically in it together Um, and I mean what you said about mental health in terms of 
yeah, you, you said the frustration and I think that that is true. But for me, even more, it's, um, I think that, especially if we look at mental health and education, that one, schools and also universities, I think, need to prepare, I mean, that's, that's my argument now, people can of course disagree with it, but prepare young people better for what is out there, what is to come. And I really don't think that we still need specific knowledge necessarily, but um, we need to be able to handle change, to cope with change, to cope with constant transformation. And um, yeah, and to go back to Humboldt, actually, you know, I mean, the University of Humboldt here, one of our biggest thinkers in, in Germany, who, who his whole idea of education was as well that you form yourself, that you become yourself. And I think um, going into that direction, that you give people time and space to figure out who they are, what they want to do with their lives, what their interests are. I think that is super, super important. And that is also very important in these rapidly changing times and I think it's not only the frustration is that a lot of people now are overwhelmed with the world and education can actually support in that search for yourself and what you do and how um, yeah you can contribute to change in a positive way and, and build the world that we live in. Yeah I think it's, it's fascinating that schools have that mindset that oh. well we don't want to prepare people for the future mm. yet there's always been this link of you get a college degree mm. or a university degree so that you can have a better future so that you can have a better life so that you can have a better job mm. so yeah what gives yeah. <laughs> like I, I almost want to ask in a, in a very vulgar way like know what the f is going on in here because to me that like i'm a very um logical thinker so when i hear something like that and it's like i was in your position um i would probably like snap <laughs> in a very decent way i'll probably be like what do you mean what do you mean by this because to me it's um i think i think universities have to think yeah you can be academic you can be a research university you know, you could be Columbia University, mm -hmm. you could be a research center, you could be a, pl a place where people go and academically move the needle forward. Mm -hmm. You could be MIT where like scientifically you're moving the needle forward. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to the vast majority of universities, they're there to prepare, allegedly, they're mm -hmm. there to prepare people to, to go out there and perform in the world. And if that's not their mission, mm -hmm. What have we been doing this past mm. 50 years? Mm. Well, I mean, I think there's something interesting about what you said about uh, technology and how it will take over education. And I think that that is what I'm waiting for now a lot here in Germany. I mean, if, again, I think if we talk about education systems, they're so different in different countries that I think it's hard. Like the U.S. is very different from Germany and the Germany again is different from the UK so I think that there are quite quite some differences in terms of how the institutions work as well in staff and for example here in Germany higher education is free so already that's a very different um, approach to it all because you don't have paying clients you know so in in the UK it's a very very different setting because you have people that come there that pay in quotation marks to get a degree and they also expect different so that there are differences there but I think what will be very interesting and what I'm am observing with a lot of curiosity is what will happen when companies say we don't want degrees anymore and we of course see that already more and more happening that big companies especially tech companies say you know what what you learn in university is irrelevant for us anyway mm -hmm. and by the time you know new new trends enter the world by the time it has been incorporated in a curriculum you know the universities are such huge tankers you know they're so hard to navigate and to move so by the time you are starting to teach something on it or whatever it's already out again so we will do our own tests that are much more sophisticated it's of course not only about knowledge it's about the whole mindset and so on and um, i'm curious to see what will happen when companies say we don't want degrees anymore and then what, what are universities there for? What is your purpose? Why do you exist, mm -hmm. right? And I think then there's still a huge um, societal thing because, of course, you know, if you have a degree, like your parents say, you know, you need to go and get a degree. It's also 
deeply embedded, I guess, in our society. And we can see, on the other hand, also, for example, here in Germany, that was a recent thing that, that now, um, if you're a midwife, you should go to university and study to become a midwife. So far, it was a, a, like a, a training. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Apprenticeship. And the problem is no one wants to become a midwife because it's horrible working conditions. It's very difficult. That It's very difficult with the insurance here in Germany. But our answer was not, okay, we need to change the working conditions. Our answer was, okay, you should go now and study because if you study, then, you know, there will be more value for this job and more people will do it. Yeah, it's very <laughs> twisted. So, but that's how, so we have this um, academization craziness, you know, that we think, okay, if we make everything academic, then it's better or people value it more, which I think is super, super dangerous because also a lot of trades now, people don't want to learn a trade anymore they all want to study and not you know it's like there's a lot of things that are going on that are very mixed up i think yeah you know? no i agree but again i i i also agree that once companies react differently and once there's a shift in society the question will really be why do we still why do we go to university what skills does this provide if it's not anymore and I think that's why 95% of the students are right now in university. They're, of course, also there because they study something that generally interests them, but they're mainly there because they need the certificate, right? Yeah. They need this degree. So if that is not requested anymore, why would you go there? What would you do there? And I think that will be interesting when it happens because I always say universities are the second oldest institution after the Catholic Church, right? So you don't reform this institution you know i don't think there's really a change of a big reform or anything but i can imagine that if really the outer circumstances change a lot that eventually there will also be a click of we have to do things differently now that's a good uh yeah that's a good uh comparison right there <laughs> didn't even think about that before um i i think sometimes that I've always put more value on the education at home mm -hmm. than the education in school. Mm -hmm. I think your parents are more um, I don't know invested in what you will be mm -hmm. and in what you will do. Like uh, at least my mother, she's like um, she always thought like what was best for, and like every mom, like what was best for, for me and my brother. And, you know, like my dad and her, like they've, I've learned so much from them that I apply today to my, to who mm -hmm. I am, to what, what I do and how I do things, then the things I learned in school. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad for math because a lot I can, you know, at certain things mm -hmm. to make sure that I don't waste money or which yeah. I do very frequently but <laughs> yeah. um, but those are like I think that there are certain skills that you learn from from family and from parents that 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 are so important and uh, the reason I bring this up is because one of the things that I took from your TED talk is how you differentiated how your grandfather mm -hmm became who he was mm -hmm. and how many jobs he had yeah. and then how your dad yeah. his dad or your great it was your great grandfather it was my granddad my father and, then, yeah. and then you three so, so three generations and uh um you're now a world traveler you've lived in many countries you um you've worked in many places um and and in in different cultures as well mm -hmm. because like you know, the U.S. culture, as you know, and New York City is an animal of its own. So um, you, you, you worked in New York, you worked in Australia, you worked in, in Asia, which I thought was one of the most fascinating things that you did because like that kind of work is, is really, really interesting, especially from the educational standpoint because you, you get to, it's such a, such a different culture for, from what we know in the Western world. And, and I think... Um, it's like seeing the value that you can give to someone else by educating. How do you put that into the perspective of 
well, what if there's no more room for university? How do we, how do we promote it? How do we, how we take a knowledge forward? How do we take knowledge forward? Well, I mean, first of all, I think that, I mean, what you said about education at home versus education in school is, of course, interesting. I guess there's always the question, what is with people that don't have these parents at home, right? That yeah. want the best for them. So what should education provide? What should, like, in a way, how should education put everyone on the same level if you want to yeah. go? That's, of course, not possible. I mean, I also, like, I had a mom at home that speaks 13 languages. I grew up, you know, traveling with all the dictionaries in the world in our house. And there was always, like, you know, I, I was raised like this, of course. So how can you, how can you, catch up with this if you didn't have that kind of and, and other people have other things of course so the, the question of course of how can we ensure that everyone has equal opportunities even though that's of course almost possible because of what you described what your what your parents provide yeah. for you as well right and then on the other hand with this i think that the generational divide is of course getting bigger and bigger and that's what i, I mean also explained in my ted talk my granddad had this one job in the small village all his life my father had two and now i had this explosion of opportunities i could go out i could travel i could work in so many different places i was still born and raised in this small town or village actually where my granddad and my my dad lived all their lives but it was a globalized world with internet and technology and access to things and i just had so many more opportunities and so I think that one, it is also more and more difficult really for parents or grandparents to understand what their kids did. And I, I'm sure that there was always a difference, but for mm -hmm. my father, it was much more easy for him to describe to his parents what he's doing versus what I'm doing yeah. now, you know, yeah, even to my, my dad, parents. My, yeah. dad, my dad's an architect, so that's yeah. simple. Yeah. He's an architect. Yeah. yeah. What did he do? He yeah. built houses and yeah. created you know, yeah. designs and... And now you're saying like, yeah, I'm sitting in like shared spaces with people recording <laughs> things and put them online, you know, so already a co-working space, you know, for my parents, when they first visited me in a co-working space, that was a very strange concept to them. And they're like, you know, what are all these people doing here? Why are you here? What are you doing? So, of course, um, and it's more radical, it's fast and moving. Yeah. So my parents called them the place you work at. Yeah, yeah. It's like, are you at the place you work? <laughs> that, that place, right, yeah. So, or the we work. Yeah, yeah, the we work, exactly. So I think that um, that's, of course, interesting then when you say, okay, your parents provide an education because now if, if you're raising children as well, like, you know, what exactly do you have to provide them with? There's so much uncertainty. There's so much what your parents maybe still took for granted. Or my parents said, okay, this is a life skill you need. It might be completely irrelevant in 50 years from now, right? And so I think also there's much more uncertainty. And um, I really don't think that we don't need universities anymore. I totally think that we do need them and that we need them, but we need them very differently. So my vision of a university is one, I think that we have to separate this whole re research from the actual teaching. Again, I mean, I'm, I'm talking a bit specific now, Europe, Germany, and the mm -hmm. US, might, some things might already be a bit different. But for example, in Germany, Teaching does not count, right? It counts to publish and it counts to get funding for the university. That's what pushes your career forward. Teaching is just an annoying side hassle, you know? So <laughs> you don't really teach. You read, you know, you read some of your um, publications. In German, we even call it Vorlesung, which means Richard Lesung means to read. Yeah. For me, to read something in front of someone. So a lecture, you know, means to read stuff out to people. Or you do, um, you know, uh, presentations. So in the beginning of the semester, you say, okay, you all do a presentation. And then the rest of the people, the rest of the semester, people give terrible presentations, which not even that you learn, right? When you do a pitch for the first time, you're like, shit, I did presentations for 20 years and I never really learned how to do it. So, and that is, for example, something where I think, yeah, we need the research, we need the research of university from people that are interested in doing that, but that doesn't necessarily have something to do with the teaching and with, like, you know, educating people in certain subjects and matters. Yeah. And also that universities become spaces, kind of like here, you know, of exchange of openness where you can walk in, like a makerspace, you know, where you can try things, where you so, can exchange. Kind of like a bi-directional yeah. exchange of 
information. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that... Where it's like the, the teacher can also learn from the student. Exactly. And I think that's, of course, also a lot of structural, like I said already with the, you know, publishing versus actually teaching. And if you're not trained to teach and you don't want to teach, you know, you have these professors, these like research professors that really they can't be bothered to teach. You know, it's not their thing. And so I think there need to be innovative solutions to be found and also... Actually, how do we speed it up? Yeah, and, and, and train people also how to how to deliver their interesting knowledge that they may be researching. But all that, and then also, if, for example, in Germany, you can't be a student, technically, if you're over 35, you can't have the health insurance anymore, it cuts off at 35, and also you can't get the student pass and things. So I think that's like, in our society, it's embedded, like, you know, you're, you're a student when you're young, it ends. You know, there's a cut and then you don't go back to university. And for me, it has to become an open place where people go back to research more, to exchange, to also this intergenerational exchange, you know, that different generations come together. And for sure, we have a lot of things to learn from each other, a lot of different perspectives. And especially with new technologies, especially with rapid change, I think that's more important than ever, yeah. you know, that we have a place where we meet, where we exchange, where we think about where we think about our societies and the world we want to build um, but to make it more open and more inclusive you know? yeah, I've been surrounded by so many young people in the past year and I have learned so much mm. it's usually like thought out to be the other way around the mm. young people learn from the older people but guess mm. what I've always had this mentality that if you're 13 to 25 you are the authority of the school. Mm. Okay? Mm. If you're outside of that, you don't know what cool is. Mm. What school today is what the people in that bracket deem to be cool. Mm. And it might sound close-minded in a way, mm. but it's true. Mm. Because these are the people that are more engaged in in the mainstream. Mm. After you after you're 25, you're probably you know, done with all your education that you're supposed to be doing. Mm. And you're focused on, you know, maybe building family, doing things, and like, you know, this this standard way of doing mm. things. And if you're younger than 13, you're still under this umbrella of your parents and mm. you don't have all this freedom because well you're not a teenager anymore. Mm. Or, or yet, you're not a teenager yet. Yeah. And then, uh, as you become a teenager, you, you get to spend more time with your friends and discover things on your own. And that kind of starts giving you a little bit of authority. So, mm -hmm. And brands in, 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 the, in the market world is, you know, always cater to those institutions first mm -hmm. than to older or different generations. Mm -hmm. And I first used to think that baby boomers were the ones that thought uh, or that knew what, what mm -hmm. cool was, but <laughs> the reason why they deemed a lot of things cool is because well, it all started when they were younger. Mm. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> interesting, yeah. Yeah, but. and uh, but yeah, one one topic I wanted to dive into a little bit um, to kind of shift uh, things is it's still within the education space, but let's let's focus more on 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 specific. Um, things that we need to learn. So, for example, mm -hmm. if we want to be a doctor, mm -hmm. technology is changing the way we do surgery mm -hmm. at an unbelievable pace. Mm -hmm. In the U.S., to be a surgeon, not to be a surgeon, but to be a doctor, a family doctor, that's eight years. Mm -hmm. Four years of pre-medicine mm -hmm. and four years of medical school. Mm -hmm. And then you have to go into residence if you want to be a general surgeon, mm. or if you want to be a ER doctor, or you know if you the, the more advanced it gets, mm. the longer it takes. Mm -hmm. The technology is changing way faster. Mm -hmm. What you start learning on that fifth year of education, which is you know when you actually mm -hmm. go into med school, to the time you finish at four years, and then you go into your residency. Technology has already changed from what you learned when you started. Mm. And the advancements are are changing drastically. I have a friend who's a doctor who says at the time we go to conferences and seminars two, three times a year, mm. I'm not informed. Mm. I don't know mm. what my patients require now. Mm -hmm. And they spend, in the U.S., 
medicine can cost you anywhere between on the cheap side about 150,000 to mm. get to school to a million dollars to to get you know a degree mm. to be a doctor to be a surgeon to be if you go into you know your neurosurgery or or those complicated <laughs> spaces mm. and and uh, you know research cancer research all that stuff you have to you know oncology is such a delicate mm. uh, space mm. and and uh, if we don't speed that up mm. to the point where our doctors can be trained faster, our nurses can be trained faster, how do we, how do we secure the, the role of medicine as technology f- speeds up? Because it, one thing we know for certain is that the technology is going to continue to grow. Mm. Uh, interesting. I think especially with the doctors, it's such a such an interesting topic though because I mean I have a very good friend as well Nikki if you're listening <laughs> he actually just stayed in my house here in Berlin for five days because he's uh, well he's doing a hard cardio practice whatever yeah. so I don't know the, the proper terms in English now so and he went to a cardio cardiology congress here for five days and he is also you know each time amazed how fast things change and what new technologies are there on the other hand, of course, his reality is still that, especially here in Germany, so many things aren't digitalized. So many things aren't like, you know, where we would have technology to put in place and where he's like, you know, I'm almost happy if, you know, people just sign the declaration off that I can do the surgery because I saved the five minutes to um, to explain to them what's going to happen because I have so much paperwork. I have so many things, you know, that are yeah. so inefficient. So I think there's always also... Always, like we have these conversations about robots are going to take over the world and then each time you want to use Skype, it's not working, you know? And you're like, <laughs> I mean, how far are we really, you know, in yeah. our everyday lives as well? So I think that um, that's, a, of course, a complex discussion. I don't even know with speeding the process up in terms of, because I had this conversation with him as well and he said like, yeah, I mean, in Germany, it's um, similar takes about yeah seven eight years as well to be really done with everything because it's of course a very complicated and complex thing as well and you're like you know the human really, body yeah and, <laughs> and you know you're really deciding over people people's lives in a way and he said that so many things I did in the beginning and I was like you know all this biochemistry and, and shit literally you know and now I go like now it starts to all make sense as well I understand why I did all this because yeah. you know it, so eventually I guess also basic things that you you know had to hassle with in the yeah. beginning so I, for three years. I know? did a pre-med. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, there you go. Um, one of the things that I kind of think of, like I have so much value from from the science classes mm. that the pre-med requires. Yeah. But did I really need to have completed my his my art history and my mm. history classes in order to get that certificate that will allow me to then go to med school? You mean in school now? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I mean that's of course the question: how much of general of the education? Extra, yeah, the general education need, is like how what? much general education do we need to then decide? Okay, and and anyway, even if you do biology and stuff in school, does this really help you to decide that you want to become a doctor? But I think um interesting question though is with if we finish up the medicine topic is that the eight years are not. I'm also not like I haven't studied medicine, so I'm not too too sure to judge on this. I think a lot of things we do in law degrees which also takes forever right but it's super repetitive and um, I don't really know if people would need to go through so much trauma to to get there but um, with the medicine I think what is of course important that we constantly have these updates right like this lifelong learning that that has of course always been an important factor for for doctors but now of course more and more because again the innovation spans are becoming shorter and shorter so like your friend says I have to go two or three times a year to be even up to date and that's of course I think that's very tangible what this lifelong learning actually means and what pace it has also taken and if we look at schools I mean I'm not an expert in the whole school system but um, I think a lot of problems we see there are similar actually to the ones we see in higher education um, yeah, but my, 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 my thing was on higher education because yeah, yeah. I did my pre-med on, in my science classes in, in, in my pre yeah. 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 So that's where I see like that general, like in the US you have gen ed for, mm. for your bachelor's degree. Okay, so yeah. you have 
a block of, of, of classes that you have to take that are directly linked to your major, and then you have another block of classes that are general education classes. Oh, yeah, we don't have that in Germany. Exactly. We need that yeah, to go no. away in the U.S. Like, no, no. I needed to take art history, and oh, no, I needed to take no, no. psychology class, and I needed, uh, which I value so much, by the mm-hmm. way, um, and I needed to take a speech class, and... Um, writing classes and which you know are are core subjects that you could but we learn some of that if we can optimize that before university mm-hmm. if the combination of that you know so this this basic skills your writing skills because mm-hmm. I, I feel like we take for granted how, how much faster kids can learn mm-hmm. because their brain is in development mode mm-hmm. so you can actually teach a child to, to be a good writer mm-hmm. At a younger age, because that development is in there. But if you limit how much they learn, mm-hmm. and we yeah. see a thing in the, in yeah. the way that they kind of like adapt to technology. But I think that I mean we don't have that in Germany. Once you sign up for medicine, you you do I mean you do like free classes, whatever biology or things you have yeah. to catch up on. I mean again I didn't study it, but we we don't have this general stuff that you do there. Once you sign up for business, you do business. You sign up for medicine. You medicine and so on but on the other hand what we see more and more and what is more and more discussed is of course this studium generalis so like a general studies yeah because i guess this links back to the school because people have gone through 13 years of education which was nonsense so now they're like 18 19 and they still don't know what to do with their lives right so they study law they study business because you can do anything with it after right and yeah. then and then I'm done, and then I still don't know what to do. Yeah. So this general, like Studium Generale, this general studies, which is like a year or two years of all kinds of subjects, kind of what you just described there, is applied in more and more universities, or it's more and more discussed because they say, oh yeah, this is good actually, you know, because the young people don't know what to do with their lives. I think schools should really offer much more of this you should really explore much more what you're interested you should work more on projects and projects and have also the opportunity to see the real world more um than you currently do so that you come out and you you have a bit more of an idea of of what you want to do and you have discovered yourself your strength and you should also you know already have the presentation and the writing classes done i think on the other hand, I also think that the Studium Generale, this general studies, like you said, psychology was so great for me and, and stuff, that it's not um, not a bad idea. And if you think about it, you know, a year of your life. Yeah. But, you know, if I think if I think from that perspective, I think, okay, well, I can continue to do that on my own time. Mm. But don't tie it to my degree mm. that it's going to move me forward. Because the real reason why pre-med takes four years is because half of the of the curriculum is general education. And the I other half is here. So we could do, I can split it and do two years and then go to med school and, and then cut med school from eight to six. Mm-hmm. But I think that also medicine and maybe also law, you know, some of these very traditional degrees, yeah. maybe they aren't the best example because they're so specific and they're so clear. And so many people, like if you study history or literature or languages or sociology or politics, it's, you know... You make a mention on the TED Talk of how many degrees are available in... Yeah, and actually I wanted to post this and then I I love... Because I said in my TED Talk that it's 19,000 in Germany. And now I read an article two or three days ago that they did a new... um, I read an article two or three days ago that they did a new count uh, count now, and now it's over 20,000 degrees in Germany. Jesus. So, in Germany alone, right? Yeah. 20,000. I wonder how much is in the U.S. I'm going to try to find that. Yeah, and then, you know, I mean, a lot of young people here in Germany that do have the opportunity to study, they also do have the opportunity to go abroad. So, you have 20,000 in Germany alone, and then you have the world open mm-hmm. to you. So, that's crazy, right? So, and I think that that's all and then what do you really need what do you really need to know i think if you become a doctor the question is rather clear you still need these lifelong learning skills you still need these adapting to uncertainty skills but um for people that study less clear profiles less clear subjects and you know my friends that studied i don't know 
politics, history, and now work as a social media manager. So I think there's, you know, all this uncertainty, all this constant change, and like you said, the six to seven professions per life. So I think that universities should be able to deliver more of these life skills, you know. I agree 100%. You know, you could be a physicist and be a brand specialist, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so one of the uh, things that I took from your tech talk that really spoke to me, I, I kind of wanted to, to bring this uh, forward uh, because of the topic of the podcast, mental health. You went through a moment where you had to decide mm -hmm. what you wanted to continue to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, how old were you when you were in China? 19. So you were 19. And at that moment, you, you started writing your diary. Mm -hmm. you, you have all these um, uh, thoughts and all these um, emotions that, that kind of like were conflicting. And I feel mm -hmm. like a lot of young people around that age feel that way, especially when they're trying something new or where they're, you know, again, like, like you were in your space trying to figure out your, your you know, your purpose and what you wanted to do mm -hmm. with life. How did you, where did you find the strength? How did you find it? And, and what was that thing that triggered the decision? What, what, you know, what made you say, I'm going to continue and I'm not going to go home? Mm. Yeah, so just for the listeners, I mean, of course, watch the TED Talk, for sure, yes. but um, if you yeah. haven't watched the TED Talk, so the moment is basically that I went to China, age 19, after graduating from high school, and again, I mean, that's 10 years ago, so before the, um, not before the internet, but before smartphones, for sure, yeah. so communication with home was, of course, possible, but it's much more complicated than today, you had to be at a fixed computer at a fixed time and all that, and um, and I was very homesick. It was the first time I was so far away from home ever. I had a new crazy job that was very overwhelming. And I lived in a small Chinese town. So really tiny town, five foreigners. So um, it was very different and it was very tough. And there was this day that I also talk about in my TED Talk where I was incredibly homesick. I think I was actually homesick the whole time. It was very difficult the whole time. There was never... Of course, it got better at some point. Um, there was this day, it was in September, 19th of September, um, 2009. And I was super, super homesick and I just like wanted to go home. And I talk about it in the talk, like you said, that I then decided, okay, I have these two options. Either I go home or I do this now and I, I go all in, you know, with no more... Um, I mean, obviously, this didn't work with not being homesick anymore, but really trying to immerse into the culture as much yeah, as possible. Yeah, putting yourself in, in that uncomfortable situation. Yeah, yes. and I think that for me, the I'm really, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, when it ca this comes to mental health, this is, of course, a very complex topic. But I think that for me, I was always looking out for challenges and trying to, you know, outgrow myself and then sometimes putting myself in situations where I was really thinking, shit, you know, like, what have I done to myself now? Yeah. And I remember also when I booked China, um, because most of my friends actually started studying or some they went to the US to do an au pair year and some went to Australia to do this work and travel thing. And I thought, you know, I can speak English already. Why not go to China where I can't read and write, you know, and it's so different. And also I didn't want to be a nanny or anything. So I went there to, to teach English. And I remember how my grandma at the time, she said to me one evening, I was so scared of what I had done there. And she said, like, yeah, Rona, you know, now you're afraid of your own courage, right? Like, and I was thinking, yeah, um, I always search for these challenges. And then, of course, sometimes it was very difficult. But I think there's this one, what is the worst thing that can happen, right? Like, yeah, you're homesick and it's terrible and that moment is the worst thing and you just want your mom to pick you up but nothing can really happen and you lose so much on the other hand if you do yeah. go home and secondly I think that um, what I also say in the TED talk and that is really my slogan and it's printed next to my desk and I have this print with me everywhere in the world what, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And I think that, you know, I posted this today on, on LinkedIn as well. There's this picture of Winnie Pooh and he's jumping and he says, what if I fall? And then the voice said, but 
what if you fly, you know? And I think, um, and I think that's, that is really it to, to give yourself into these situations and to also feel the fear and acknowledge it and say like, fuck, I'm so scared, you know? And, um, but what is it? What are you scared of? What is the worst thing that can happen? And also then saying, okay, if I go through this now, I will grow so much, you know. That's exactly. And, and when I did the TED Talk, I mean, I was shitting bricks, you know. I was, I was so, so afraid. And I was, like, really feeling it. I was like, wow, you're so scared of this. And then you go and you do it and you look back and you're like, well, I really did this, you know. So I think that, um, yeah, that is really, like, what drives me and what has always, and I'm always looking also, I love this, you know, I'm always thinking, okay, what could be the next thing? And we're, we're very similar in that yeah. space because I, I knew that I was ready to travel and to, like, get out of my comfort zone, and it's always been the case yeah. when I've been most scared. Mm. When I feel that fear mm. of what if, mm. that's when I know, okay, well, this is the, the right the right way to go um and i think also to, to just to say that like for example when i came back to germany i was much more scared to to start my own business than to find a job you know i mean I, my, my parents are both state employed there are no really any entrepreneurs in our family so i had no freaking clue what i was doing no in school again you know i never even learned to do a tax return right so it's like <laughs> What am I doing? But then it's this thing, okay, what is the worst thing that can happen? And also, again, of course, I mean, yeah, I'm a woman, but I'm a white, privileged German passport holder. Yeah. So again, what's the worst thing that can happen? And sometimes people tell me this, yeah, I would like to, you know, start my own business, but I'm this and that and scared. And I'm like, okay, but you're in Germany. Now, what's the worst thing you, that can happen? It's not even the US, you know, where you're always on the, the edge of being homeless, like literally, you know, I mean, Again, I, I really, really yeah. appreciate this and think, okay, in Germany, we have such a social security net, yeah. you know, even if you fail. Socialism you know, that kills. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, yeah, if you have like, you know, even if, if you're a couple of months unemployed or whatsoever, like there, there is a net that will catch you. Yeah, you know? and, and it's actually a substantial net because yeah. we have this in the US, yeah. And, yeah. but it's not. Yeah. I remember I was unemployed for a bit and... And uh, I, I have certain financial security, and I found out, you know, what it will be, what mm. it will mean to like go into unemployment. Mm. And I'm like, how do people survive this? Yeah, yeah. How do they do these things? How do you yeah. make ends meet? Mm -hmm. Which okay. to me was scary. Like the the, the the you get a percentage of your salary, but it's capped at a way. So if you're making fifty thousand, you still get a percentage of if you were making thirty thousand. Yeah. So thirty thousand is not even enough. I know. So of course, but I mean that's another interesting discussion. What that does to you, and I mean I think sometimes I mean I travel the U.S. a lot as well, and I think this this spirit that arises through this, you mm -hmm. know, because you you grow up and you know like you know shit. <laughs> I, I have to grow together. Yeah. And, and on the other hand, again, in Germany, you know, and of course, you know, people have families, they have loans to pay. I don't say that in any situation, yeah. it's always easy. But if you are young and, and you, you are just, in quotation marks, afraid, then, okay, what, what is the worst thing that can happen? Yeah, right? so. absolutely. All right, so I want to um, kind of start ending the podcast. Yeah. And you mentioned your mom speaks 13 Oh, languages. my God, yeah, this crazy woman, yeah. <laughs> How many do you speak? Um, well, five, but I have to say that my, I mean, I can fluently speak English as you hear, yeah. German and French, and I can understand a lot of Spanish because I speak French, okay. um, I can speak so-so, and my Chinese is okay, and if I'm there, then, you know, I pick up things again, but okay. it's not like, so three. How hard was it to, to kind of like get into the Chinese, because I've always been fascinated by Mandarin. So difficult, very difficult. Very and at difficult. some point also I had this teacher who said, Yeah, you need to learn how to write and only you know if you can write properly the characters, that's the proper way. And then someone is like, Screw it, I don't want characters anymore, I only want to speak. So I can also not write, I can only speak and it's yeah. um it's well, very I feel like you have to be like an artist to like <laughs> where you learn how to do it and it's fascinating when you see how people how fast they, they write, of course. But um no, it's a very I think fascinating language because it's so different, right? Yeah. 
Awesome. So, um, yeah, I am learning my third language right now, which is um, don't say it's German. German. Oh my god, yeah. that's so horrible, so I know, hard I'm, I'm and ugly. <laughs> but, but I'm gonna live here, so I know. <laughs> I know. I think I would never learn it if it wouldn't be my native language. It's yeah. so hard and so difficult. Yeah, and then uh, I can speak some Portuguese because I I lived in an area where. Um, where there was a lot of Portuguese and you know speaking mm -hmm. Spanish is easy to like pick it up and some Italian as well from the family and um, I'm actually going to Italy on the weekend and I'm excited mm -hmm. for that um, I'm gonna start speaking Italian all day yeah, <laughs> cool. um, but yeah I I want to say thank you for yeah, being for here I, I think we uh, I think we have space to do this again yeah. um, we, can, we can come back in the, in the next season and and, and pick up where we left off. Um, the um, the interesting thing about your experiences and how they apply to 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 our development and our growth, I think um, it's it's something that people are gonna get a lot of value from this, and I, I really appreciate that. And thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for being an awesome host. Yeah. And uh, it's it's actually this is the first time. I in person meet my guests for the first time as oh, well. So, cool. um, this so is many really, firsts. Yeah, so many firsts on this one, and I, I really, really uh, am excited for to see how how people uh, react to it, and, and and I hope that everyone gets some value. Any last thoughts you want to share? Or? No, I mean the same, uh, and I think that these discussions these days there is never a right answer or in like a definite answer. So. Yeah. I'm always very curious to hear people's thoughts on how they see things, what they think is important, what their views are, and, and exchange and talk about it and learn from each other. Well, Everything is beta, so yeah. <laughs> well, you guys heard that. Um, I will be sharing this podcast in about two weeks, and I will be sharing her information, her LinkedIn uh, link and profile. That way that you guys, if you want to have questions for, if you have any questions for Rona, uh, that will be in the description and uh, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. <laughs>